Cliffcentral.com. We have an absolutely extraordinary attitude in our culture and in various other cultures, high civilizations, to the new member of human society. Instead of saying frankly to children, how do you do, welcome to the human race, we are playing a game, and we are playing by the following rules. We uh, want you to, we want to tell you what the rules are so that you'll know your way around, and uh, when you've understood what rules we're playing by, when you get older, you may be able to invent better ones. But instead of that, we still retain an attitude to the child that he is on probation. He's not really a human being. He's a candidate for humanity. And in just this way, we have a whole system of preparation of the child for life, which always is preparation and never actually gets there. In other words, we have a system of schooling which starts with grades. And we get it always preparing for something that's going to happen. So you go into nursery school as preparation for kindergarten. You go to kindergarten as preparation for first grade. And then you see you go up the grades till you get to high school. And then comes a time when uh, maybe if we can get you fascinated enough with the system, you go to college. And then when you go to college, if you're smart, you get into graduate school and stay a perpetual student. And go back to be a professor and just go round and round in the system. But in the ordinary way, they don't encourage quite that. They want you after graduate school or after graduation, commencement as it's called, beginning to get out into the world with a capital W. And so, you, you, you know, you've been trained for this and now you've arrived. But when you get out into the world at your first sales meeting, they've got the same thing going again because uh, they want you to make that quota. And if you do make it, they give you a higher quota. And come along about 45 years of age, maybe you're vice president. And you suddenly it dawns on you that you've arrived. With a certain sense of having been cheated because... Uh, it is just the same as things, life feels the same as it always felt. And you are conditioned to be in desperate need of a future. So the final goal that this culture prepares for us is called retirement. When you will be a senior citizen and you will have the wealth and the leisure to do what you've always wanted, but you will at the same time have impotence, uh, a rotten prostate and uh, false teeth and no energy. So uh, all the whole thing from beginning to end is a hoax. You uh, are involved uh, by and large in a very strange business system which divides your day into work and play. Work is something that everybody does and you get paid to do it because nobody could care less about doing it. In other words, it is so abominable and boring that you can get paid for doing it. And the object of doing this is to make money. And the object of making money is to go home and enjoy the money that you've made. When you've got it, you see, you can buy pleasure. And uh, in, in myriads of ways, you see, you go home, you, we're the wealthiest people in the world, and you would think that having earned your money and go home 
uh, you would have an orgy and uh, a great banquet and so on, but nobody does. They eat a TV dinner, which is just a warmed-over airline food, and uh, then they spend the evening looking at an electronic reproduction of life, which is divided from you by a glass screen. You can't touch it, you can't smell it, it has no color, except uh, maybe if you're very wealthy it has color. But uh, by and large it doesn't, and you look at this thing, and you don't, you, you have a strange feeling, you see, that the whole procession of grades that was leading to something in the future, to that goody, that gorgeous, galoptious goody that was lying at the end of the line, it never quite turns up. And this is because from the beginning, we condition our children to a defective sense of identity. We condition the child in a way that sets the child a life problem which is insoluble and therefore attended by constant frustration. And as a result of this problem being insoluble, it is perpetually postponed to the future so that one lives, one is educated to live in the future and one is not ever educated to live today. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, the philosophy of carpe diem, let us drink today for tomorrow we die, and not make any plans. What I am saying is that making plans for the future is of use only to people who are capable of living completely in the present. Hello, and welcome to the Maid Sessions. My name is Berlin Jamane, and it is really, really good to be here. So, today, I'm going to read you a poem that I wrote probably two years ago. And it's kind of the birthplace of my wanting to explore the role and the value of domestic workers in South Africa. I've titled it Job Description. You will leave your home and community as beloved daughter, mother or grandmother to arrive to work as another woman's maid, commuting long distances at the crack of dawn to brew her husband's morning coffee before he has wiped the sleep from his eyes, leaving your own children to nurture hers, who will never give you the respect due to a mother, but whom instead will leave you their personal sloth and call you by a servant name, bathing and dressing them each day for a standard of schooling that you and yours cannot hope to obtain. Preparing meals which do not nourish your own family and eating the leftovers you are spared. Setting a dinner table where you are not welcome to sit. Calling by madam, the sister, for whom you will keep a family and a home. Cleaning the dust, gathering on vases and ornaments which cost more than your livelihood. Giving to guests the hospitality you will never receive in that home which you care for. Serving at celebrations, where you are always to be seen but never heard. Adorning a servant's uniform, lest you are mistaken for an equal. Working your fingers to the bone, so she may keep manicured hands. Cleaning the soil from toilets and basins you are not permitted to share. Washing plates and forks marked, strictly, Madam's dinnerware. Keeping her leisurely home by day, retiring to a servant's dwelling by night. Watching the frantic locking of car doors as she delivers you to the taxi rank and bids you a safe journey home. Pocketing graciously the insult in the 21st century of an occupation legitimizing what should frankly be termed the neo-slave trade 
and the reign of its female patriarchs. Okay. So this is the poem. Um, and this is the, the thinking that preceded my involvement in studying maid. Now, when I first wrote this poem, I thought it was about domestic work. But the more I read it, the more I realized that it's about all of us. What do I mean? No matter who we are, we make this journey between identity and anonymity, importance and insignificance, madam and maid. Because it's true that we all have a madam. We all help massive corporations to make money that doesn't nourish our own families. If not as employers, we do this as consumers. Every day, we help to set a table where we will never eat. A shareholder's table. At work, at McDonald's, or in Guptaland, where we are the lifeblood, but we will never make the decisions. We sit in traffic at the crack of dawn, so we can clock in by 9am, leaving our own dreams behind to nurture our employer's dreams, never receiving the freedom and the reward due to a partner and a pioneer. We toil and we innovate and we dedicate to make profits that we will never ever share in. We all dress CEOs and faceless shareholders in suits, lifestyles, opportunities and networks that most of us and our children will never ever hope to obtain. We take the leftovers that we're spared, right? Whether it's salaries that are a fraction of the profits or consumer goods that are designed to become addicting, outdated and obsolete so that we always need more. We get fooled into thinking these things are of value when actually they're designed to placate and enslave us daily to markets and systems that will bleed us until we die and never know our names. We all work our fingers to the bone to perfect products and services and ideas that are worth more to our employers than our very livelihoods. We all treat company clients and cash cows with the hospitality we will never receive in our workplaces. We do that with all important people, including celebrities, right? We buy their movies, their music, their books, and treat them with the prestige and individuality that they will never give to us. To us, the disciples, who give them their role and livelihood in the first place. We all queue in stores to dress in clothes that are mass-produced, from magazines that are mass-produced, paying with cards that are mass-produced, lest Calvin Klein mistakes us for individuals. And in the end, what do we get? A salary? A retweet? Or a thank you for coming to McDonald's? And maybe some obesity? (laughs) None of these so-called things tell us when enough will ever be enough, when we will start earning to live and not living to earn, when we will start consuming to live and not living to consume. All we do is pocket graciously in the 21st century with all of our progress, what should frankly be termed 
as the neo-slave trade and the reign of corporations. We are no different to each other, right? We all have a madam. So my question to you today is, who is your madam? Is it your boss? Is it the car installment that you can't really afford? Is it the government? Is it celebrity culture? Is it someone you think is better than you? Think about it. We all have one. Then ask yourself, if they do it to us, then why do we do it to others? Cliff Central. I've got something important to tell you. Cliffcentral.com.